Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, let's get you going this morning. Who wants some college football? Because for the next hour, you're getting a lot of college football. Jazz, we're in a little downtime here. They don't play again until the Mike Conley welcome home tour. The Jazz in Memphis Friday night on ESPN. You love the way they get Porzingis' first game back in New York, Conley's first game back in Memphis. Always looking for a hook. Always looking for an angle. So we'll leave the NBA for a moment. Let's talk college football. Let's start off with BYU's Elisa Tuiaki. The defense playing better. they got a couple games here to tune up the act, tighten up the deal. Uh, They beat Liberty. They had to smoke Idaho State and go to UMass and bury those guys. Remember, Liberty beat UMass 63-21. Get the defense ready for San Diego State. 7-5 or 8-4. It's just one game, but didn't aim four sound a lot better? I mean, that sounds like you won two or three more games. Even though the math says it's just one, it just feels better. Here's Elisa Tuiaki with the media on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. A lot of them have been stoic the whole time we've been here, you know. Brought a lot to the team. A lot of them gave up a lot as far as just getting beat up and, and uh, doing what they could to, to give us a chance to win. And really, really appreciate the seniors for that. As far as the senior contributors, J.J. seems to be one of the bigger surprises for what he's been able to do this year. Yeah. What's led to that? What? Uh, you know he's he's uh, you know he's he's a big kid. He's he's got a lot of ability. Uh, I think it was just really just trying to find a place for him, and, and uh, he's done a really good job as he moved over and and uh, played defensive end. Really learned the position pretty quickly. He's been with became with James in the spring and um, really been happy with his development. Having talked to him, he seems like a kid with a really good attitude, a real good team attitude. Have you seen that? Is that helpful? Oh yeah, yeah. When you can get anything out of him, you know he's he's quiet. He's a yes sir, no sir kid. You know. I, I told somebody the first time that uh, he got into his, got to some of the games, you know, I came up to the sideline and I couldn't tell if he was really playing well or not, just from watching, you know, on, on the sideline. And and uh, I asked him a couple questions and he just kind of stared at me, just yes sir, yes sir. And I didn't know if I was like, is this is this dude like, I mean, getting it or is he is he kind of caught up in the moment? We went and watched film after the game and he and was really really proud of the way he plays. So he just. That's his personality. He just he wants to be good at what he does. Don't want to say much. He'll ask questions when he has questions. But other than that, he just plays. One of the things, one of the things about this senior group is a lot of them have been versatile, moved around to different positions, and done different things for you. What does that mean when guys uh, are willing to take those? Yeah, those you know, it's been uh, a tribute to them um, and just their willingness. Really, you know, sometimes it's just kind of the name of the game was moving people around and doing things that we thought was going to be the best thing for the scheme to win the week. And, um, I mean, their willingness to do that and learn a new new position, learn a new technique has, has been huge. Some people say a defense needs to have an identity. And do you buy into that kind of, is there really that, a need for that? And if so, what would yours be, you think? You know, I think, I think the only identity um, that really matters is when you're, to me, is a little bit more technical. It's uh, we want to be great tacklers. We want to be great at uh, getting off blocks and uh, other than that you know 50 million schemes out there there's things that one scheme is better against uh, spread one scheme is better against power and so I think you kind of scheme things up uh, defensively week to week especially with us being independent we don't really see the same teams you know very often and and so for us to be able to just kind of mold into what we think is going to stop them that week it's really about after all the scheme and everything done, it's, it's is your identity, do they play hard, do they play tough, and they make tackles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that's probably more of what I would think if we, were, if we were to put a finger on it. Where you have multiple fronts in what you've done, is that more taxing on a team and the coaching staff to 
continually be kind of... Uh, taxing on us or on the opponent? No, yeah, taxing on you and, and your own players to kind of be so versatile, I guess. Uh, it takes takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work in order for the... Show if you know, everyone. Show if you know. <laughs> Give them a hand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, you know, it takes a lot of work, takes a lot of commitment, and takes a lot of belief, you know. And sometimes um, when you start to do things, you know, there may be some kind of some weird looks at you, like, we're really going to do this? But um, I think for us and the way that we move people around, the way that we play multiple fronts, I think it's great for a kid to go in, you know. If these, these kids all have aspirations going to the next level. You can say, I played, I played odd front, I played an even front, I played a three technique, I played a shade, I played heads, and there's just... There's a lot of different things, especially at the front, that you can say, I'm very familiar with that and I can do it. And I think it's uh, uh, something that, that's, that's uh, good for their future. There's Elisa Tuiaki, BYU defensive coordinator. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy's talking Pac-12 network. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right. Time to uh, listen in to Lincoln Kennedy. Joined us earlier in the week, but uh, a lot of takes on the playoff, the Pac-12, some of the other games around the country that are impacting the Pac-12's playoff hopes. Here's Lincoln Kennedy with PK and I. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, guys. Who are you guys talking about? I just heard Kyle Whittingham. At the end of his weekly press conference, a guy didn't bother with the mic, and he asked Kyle, uh, you know, why are you such a good coach? An, an, an in-house guy. An in-house guy, yeah. And, he yelled, okay. and he, he yelled it without the mic, why are you such a good coach, and who mows your lawn? I mean, you know, he's <laughs> trying to have fun. And so Kyle yeah. immediately told PK to answer the question, but it got PK thinking, okay, what does he have? Because in college football, if you're at the same school for more than a decade, and you're still posting winning records, and that's the only way to hold on to that job for that long. You got to have something going for you. You got to you, right. you can't just fall right. into it more than a decade. And Kyle's at a decade and a half now. So, in your opinion, what makes Kyle good? What separates him from some of the guys who are in and out of jobs in three, four, five years? You know what? Um, what's interesting is that you know, once upon a time, there were certain college football jobs that were, you know, or coaches that you thought were lifers. You had your Joe Paternals, you had your Bobby Bowdens, you had your Don James, you had, you know, those guys that stayed at a program until they were done. Um, and then it seems like in this day and age, with everything that's going on, with all the transition and I guess, I don't even know if they're, they're considered ladder jobs where you're taking a step up, um, you see a lot of movement amongst coaches. So it's refreshing to see somebody stay that one program for longer than, say, a couple of years or looking for something better. Um, so I, I kind of chalk it up to that, if that makes sense. I've been around Kyle for many years now, uh, during the off season and during the season, obviously. And two things that I would say, and they, they go together, and I want to get your thought on it. When you ask what is a good coach and why is he a good coach, in my mind, the two things that I could narrow it down is identity 
and consistency. And I mean by that, when you think of Utah football, their identity, I think, is clear. Obviously, you know what it is. We all know what it is. And so that identity leads itself and breeds the consistency. So every day in the University of Utah football program, you have identity and consistency. And those are the two things that I think that have led a major reason as to why he's been successful for 15 years. You remember those days where you you saw um, youths try to open things up like spread formation and throw the ball around and how weird that felt or or looked for them because it it wasn't true to their identity? I agree with you. I agree with you. I I believe that you are who you are and you find a way to, to... to um, you know, weigh the storm, if you will, um, when things seem a little bit tough. But uh, I agree with you. The identity has remained consistent. And that's, that's one of the great things, though, Coach Whittingham. Kyle mentioned during that press conference that both uh, UCLA and Utah control their own destiny. Now, you can get off, and some coaches have, get off into some discussion philosophically about whether you can control your destiny or your destiny is your destiny. But his point is, if either one of these teams win the rest of their games, they're in the Pac-12 title game. Having said that, the Utes are favored by 20 points. So when you say something (laughs) like that, it sounds like it ought to be a close game. But Vegas thinks it's going to be a blowout. How do you see it? Oh, it's, it's one of those things where we said anything can happen. You know, who decides to show up? I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people, including myself, wrote UCLA off as done. I had told you guys many times on, our, on um, our talks that in the future, UCLA is going to be okay because they've got a lot of young players. Well, no one expected them to play uh, as quickly as they did or surprise people as quickly as they did. So um, I, I really don't pay that much into um, what the, the the point spreads are. I think those guys in Vegas know some stuff about things, but I just don't I don't put in too much in because anything can happen on game day. So these last couple of weeks, particularly since the Washington game, the Utes had to have that, and then SC loses to Oregon. So now all of a sudden the Utes don't have to worry about SC losing as long as the Utes win. And since that time, with the uh, advent of the college playoff, the Utes have been receiving a ton of love nationally. Top 10 ranked, right on the verge of possibly getting into a playoff, a Rose Bowl, Oregon. So the point I'm making is the last two weeks, because they had the bye, has been nothing but love as a coach as a player do you have any concern about these guys maybe getting too big-headed because there's been nothing but positive shown their way and that's not what the program was built on it was built on being an underdog and now all of a sudden they're being lathered in praise left and right well yeah there's always that concern because we're talking about young men here we're not talking about you know guys who've been there and done it before and we're also talking about a program that, for whatever, hap- for whatever reason, um, has imploded or not taken care of business this time of the year in years past. So there are lots of um, firsts, if you will. Um, so, but, but again, there's nothing really you can do about it because you want to be in this position. You want to have a chance to challenge for national recognition. The only way you can do that is to win. And I said all along, I think the best chance for the Pac-12 to get in the playoff is for Oregon to win out and, Pac- and um, Utah to win out, play each other, and then whichever team arises has that chance to win for the playoff. You can't do that and not be noticed in this, in this game today. So as you watch uh, 
as you watch the Utes down the stretch, you know, three games, you're always supposed to be improving all that. They got three games till they play Oregon. What do they need to get better at? I don't, there's nothing that really stands out other than just doing what they do. As we talked about identity, I think everyone coming into this season, including you guys, will agree. They run the ball. They play great defense. Well, they've got a great defense, outstanding defense. And they, they know how to run the ball. And, of course, when it comes to you know putting up points when they have to, they know how to score. So you have a quarterback who's consistent with the program and knows how to march his team down when they need to get points. That's important. I think they're doing everything right. It just You just have to remain consistent and keep winning football games. We know that Oregon, relative to the most recent years, are better than they've been. But let's go back to when Chip Kelly had it really going on. What do you see in the differences of this program, or do you see any differences that would make you think that Oregon is better equipped to win bigger games as they go down the stretch, conference final, and maybe they have a shot at the playoff? Defense. It comes down to defense. The fact that Oregon has a defense that can play football. Once upon a time, Oregon was all so offensive loaded that when they got into big games, the defense let them down. They have a defense they can play now. Were you surprised with the way uh, LSU-Alabama unfolded? And how much of a difference is there between the elite teams in the SEC and the elite teams in the Pac-12? Because I'm reading all the stuff about Bama's schedule and they haven't played anybody. It's like, but they're Bama and they got Saban and they got all this credibility, even if you know, the resume doesn't look that different than a Pac-12 school. Well, let's just put it this way. You know, Bama didn't play anybody, guys. And the truth of the matter is that when it comes down to it, the one team that I'm constantly worried about is Bama because due off a repetition, I think Bama is the only team in, in, let's say, the country for whatever reason, will have one loss, won't play in their championship game, and still has a great chance of getting the playoffs. That does not bode well for any Pac-12 school. Um, the truth of the matter, in, in, in my opinion, is this, is that I, I'm, I'm actually glad that LSU beat Alabama because I'm tired of Alabama being talked about so much. And you're right, they, they learned how to play the schedule game, where if you look at their schedule and you look at who they play, no, they don't play anybody. And then when they have a big game listed, they either have a bye before or a cupcake. And that's what a lot of premier teams that are doing. The, the problem with, for the Pac-12 is that you still have a couple of other schools that are still, you know, shining. Um, Ohio State, obviously, uh, in, in the Big Ten, you know they're not going to leave a Big Ten champion out. Um, and this is where they just need to increase the number of teams that are playing uh, in the Pac-12, I mean, not in the Pac-12, in the playoff. I don't know if that's going to happen or when that's going to happen, but they, they definitely need to do it. But Alabama is still in the thick of things because you've got a lot of people out there who want to see a rematch of LSU Alabama, and they don't mind if it's in a national championship or a playoff game, but they're going to keep Alabama around just for that reason. One of the reasons I like talking to you is you're going to tell it like it is as you see it. You know, some of these guys who work for the Pac-12, they tend to be rose-colored and they're a little hesitant to acknowledge the obvious. And what I'm getting at is we had just a big-time referee screw-up in the Cal-Washington State game. Mistakes are going to happen. I get Mm -hmm. that. But this one seemed to be a doozy, and it's just built upon the reputation and the the columnist who works in Oregon just piles on them, and he wrote another piece that they need a complete and total overhaul. What needs to happen to get away from this and to get where they need to be with some of the stuff that seemed to be getting in the way and stunting the progress as a conference? 
you know, once upon a time, it didn't matter what level it was, whether it was college, high school, even pro level, you kind of gave a little bit of an excuse for human error. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, look, you know, sometimes they get it wrong. It's, it's, it's part of it. Um, speaking of the referees, to me, when you have uh, this day and age, because of the TV coverage, the amount of cameras that are often at these, you know, games that are shown on TV, you want to say that you got to get it right. And there's really no reason why you can't get it right. The, the, the difficulty is, is because you've, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of criticism on both sides. You got a lot of people who sit there and say, well, yeah, you need to get it right and you should get it right and get it right. And then you want to have people who support, um, other, you know, referees be like, well, okay, let's just kind of excuse this. Let's not overturn it or let's not let it go on, on, on TV. I saw a lot of that last night in the Monday night football game. Um, so it's it's difficult to, to, to proclaim what has to happen. Um, I mean, I think as a fan or as critics or as people who enjoy the game, again, you want them to get it right. But at the same point, you have to have some sort of sympathy for human error. Okay, sometimes you're not going to see everything in full speed and, and think of how it goes. Um, I, I say that to say this, that we're really in a quarry of how we can handle or how we can view things, especially in this day and age, because there's so much attention to sports. And if it determines an outcome of a truly important game, like, say, a, a Pac-12 championship or a, a playoff game, then you're really going to be in a fray. And that's what you got to worry about. So I, I really don't know the answer to the question or what has to happen. I just know that, uh, again, we just want them to get it right, if that makes sense. You know, I, uh, if you're not watching the game when it happens and you just see a little you know, a headline or something on your phone and it says, refs penalize wrong team, 57-yard yeah. mistake, I think, if I click on this, is it going to say Pac-12 refs? <laughs> I bet it is. And so I click on it. And it's the Pac-12 refs. And I think that's the thing in the conference office, if they set all the personalities aside, because it seems like there's a good old boy network going on. And we don't really want to hammer these people that, for whatever reason, we've known for however long I got these loyalties to. But that can't happen that someone looks on their phone and says, 57-yard mistake, I'll bet it was the Pac-12, and then it was. And until they address the good old boy network that protects people who do, in some cases, crazy stuff that's been reported, this is going to keep happening, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. You know, my most egregious thing that I had ever since, you know, covering the Pac-12 and they came out with was the targeting rule. And, and it was a targeting rule for so many reasons, but the, most, the, the biggest part of it was um, that, a, that a young man was going to miss, it was going to be suspended, you know, be ejected and suspended for the first half of the game. Now they've kind of kind of come around and, and, and sort of changed and all that. But, you know, when it comes to hits um, and it comes to hits with the helmets and trying to, you know, safety, I think they've gone overboard because it, it's also trickled. I mean, it, it's come down from the program, po- program down to, you know, other levels to where they're talking about, you know, uh, unnecessary contact. And I, I know most recently as last night where they had – um, they were calling a helmet-to-helmet hit on the quarterback. Um, you know, defense lineman's going in for sacking a quarterback. The quarterback lowers his head, and they call a low uh, a helmet, a helmet-to-helmet hit. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you supposed to do? 
If you're, if you're making contact with a guy, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to notice that he's going down in an instantaneous moment and, and next thing you know, you're trying to go out and make the hit because you're, you're feeling the moment right now. You want to lay a wallop on this quarterback. But, oh, let me pull off because he's, his helmet is going down. How do you possibly do that? There are times like that where the game has not caught up with the literature and the rules. And that's why they throw flags, or that's why they penalize you. And these penalties can come back and haunt you if you're not careful about it. So a year ago, since you do work for the Raiders, the Raiders were trading their best defensive player and their best receiver, and it was thought that, ah, they're packing it in until they move to Vegas. And now here we are, they're going to win the AFC West. <laughs> what a transformation. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, yeah, obviously certainly. they're in the mix with the Chiefs stumbling. Well, for me, it's, it's dual fold. I mean, though I'm happy to see that I've got a good product to report on, the truth of the matter is that if I'm the Raiders, I'm careful what I'm wished for. Yes, you know, you think about it. If you win, if you win the you win a spot in the playoffs, that's a tremendous story from being four wins one year ago to being aware of you are now. But at the same point, I do know this: the Raiders are an average football team, and they're not going to beat New England, New England. They're not going to beat Kansas City, Kansas City. They're not going to beat Houston, and Houston. They they won't even beat Baltimore and Baltimore. Uh, if they're a wild card team, they're going to have to go to one of these places. So, yes, it would be good to, to see them go to playoffs and, and probably win twice as many games as they won the year before. But at the same point, I don't want to report on them getting their ass kicked, and that's what's probably going to happen if they, if they go to one of these teams. Hey, <laughs> I, I, can, I can remember Bronco fans saying the same thing. We don't want to go to another Super Bowl and lose it. But you can't win if you don't go. you got to throw yourself into the fray. That's true. And they got a couple games that – I mean, you got to be careful because now Miami's won two in a row, so there are no gimmies. <laughs> <laughs> there's no gimmies out there. But, you know, it looks like there's a couple soft games coming up, and they ought to be 7-4 and four and set themselves up. Well, they, they're playing a true, you know, last-place schedule, for example, or, and, and because of the teams they're playing, they have potential to be there. But I'm talking with people, a lot of people at the Raiders facility, you know, some people have projected, oh, I think we can go 10-6. and six. I'm like, whoa, 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 10-6, and six. where do you see that? You know, there's still teams that can, that can you know, hurt you. I think Jacksonville still has a chance to be, be hard. You can't sleep on even a no-win team in Cincinnati because, like a coach once told me, those guys on the other side of the field get paid too, so be careful. Yep. All right, Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. There's Lincoln Kennedy with PKNI. Lincoln's here every week. When we come back, Riley Jensen talking college football playoff and can Utah State beat Wyoming and set up the big game for the division title with Boise State? Because if Utah State wins these next two games, we're going to have a three-way tie. Boise State, Air Force, Utah State, all sitting on one loss in conference play. Boise State got Air Force. Air Force got USU. Can USU get Boise State? Set up the big game with a win over Wyoming at home first. We'll talk with Riley about that next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, Riley joins us now. Riley Jensen, our college football insider. On the Sprint special guest line, lease any handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning. What's going on with you guys? 
Well, we were just talking about the rankings that came out and uh, where everybody sits, and uh, PK's ready to guarantee us Ohio State, Clemson, and two SEC teams. Think it's going to play out any other way for a Pac-12 champ or a Big 12 champ? It's going to be really hard for me to see anything but two SEC teams, um, which I think is a little bit unfortunate if Oregon and, and Utah both run the table and play against each other. It feels like they should be in. Why? I mean, this is why. Why does it feel like you only you have one quality win the whole season, and you should get in based on one quality win? That's it. Well, to, to me, this is this is more of the argument that I think. And and look, that's not the way it is right now. So I'm I may be arguing something that that doesn't exist, a hypothetical, which isn't a good practice in general. But I I like the argument that if you're going to have a playoff that each P5 team, the conference winner should be in, right? And then, and then, yeah, and then you take a couple, yeah. a couple more. And, and so, like I said, I'm, I'm arguing a hypothetical, but, man, it just seems like if you go 11-1 and one and 11-1 and one and then you beat, you know, the, the, the other team, it feels like it should be enough to get you in. But, but maybe it's not. And, and the way that it's set up, there's always going to be somebody who's in fifth place or sixth place that's going to be able to say, God, I should have been in. Yeah. We should have been in the playoff. This is ridiculous. And quite frankly, I think the NCAA likes that because it causes all of us of to course. talk about it yeah, more. Yeah. That's why I said it it's genius. All of us to, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's part of the reason that I don't think that they'll move to an 18 playoff is because they love the fact that somebody's mad every year about this. Yeah. And it just causes more hype and circumstance and everything else. It's like if you want to eliminate the close plays at first base, you move the bag back a foot, and you've solved it all. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, and really, exactly. obviously you've solved nothing, and so it leads to just endless discussion, and it goes on and on. It's been 1984 all over again. We've never moved on from 1984, you know, when we have Barry Switzer on the Today Show and all that stuff going on. It was That was actually great for college football, so we've advanced beyond that. But And I'm a Pac-12 homer. I've been this way my whole adult life. But right now, no team has a win over a ranked team in the college football playoff. Not one. Not one. And they're supposed to get in the way I think they should get in under your system and the system that we like. I think go to six and just add one and and, and give the SEC two, and then the uh, the other five get in. And I don't even think you need to go to eight. Go to six and do it that way. But it's not what we got. But the problem is, and it's no knock on Utah or Oregon. It's the Pac twelve is so mediocre this year. I can't justify them getting in based on one win. That's all it would boil down to. Well, and and, and you're probably you're probably a hundred percent correct on that. You're, I, I I know the argument against it. I know the argument for it. But I think this is as close as the Pac-12 has come to having two quality teams that could even sniff or even like think that they should be in it. And so so that's where that's where you're hoping that the Pac-12 can break through and break into the playoffs. Yeah, I hope so, too. But I don't blame it on Oregon or Utah. I blame it on Washington, Arizona State, Washington State, Stanford. 
these teams that are supposed to be, maybe not the Devils, but the other teams that were supposed to be at least decent, they're not. They're average. See, I think if Oklahoma gets in, if they beat Baylor twice, and Oklahoma's currently 10th, they're currently behind, you know, number six, Oregon, number seven, Utah. But if they beat Baylor twice and leapfrog them, people won't like it. But it'll be a different level if Bama gets in because everything PK says about the Pac 12, those are all facts. You can't argue them. But Bama's not playing Florida. They're not playing Georgia. They're not playing a killer schedule in the SEC because of who they're missing. And Bama could be just like, let's say, Utah beats Oregon. <clears throat> Right now we're saying, well, Utah doesn't have any wins over anybody who's better than 8-4 because USC, best-case scenario, 8-4. Washington, best-case scenario, 8-4. BYU in non-conference, best-case scenario, 8-4. Auburn could easily be 8-4. A&M could be 7-5 very easily. And those could be Bama's best wins. And so that Pac-12 title game win, while it would be the only big win for either one of those teams, it would still be one more big win than Bama has. But Bama's in front, and if they get in, and, and there's just a decade of resentment built up against Bama, which maybe it shouldn't right. factor I mean, in, Bama, but it does, even if it shouldn't. Bama's Bama, right? And, and they've been the darlings of the NCAA for about 10 years now. <laughs> and, and so the resentment that you're talking about is also the love that the NCAA has built up for, for Alabama. I could, I could totally see it happening, right? And I just, I don't know. It, it feels like to me that Utah is a good football team. It feels a great like football to me team. Yeah. that they have all the components to compete in a playoff at this point. And so, you know, I, it'll work itself out. It'll all work itself out. And if, and if Utah goes to the Rose Bowl and they blow some team out in the Rose Bowl, they're always going to be able to make that argument. Yeah. <clears throat> Truthfully, and I and I don't mean I, and I'm not trying to come back a Utah fan or anybody because I, I wish they would have won this, but they they solve a lot of their problems by not losing at USC. Right? There are like, no problems, yeah, yeah. They get it done. I mean, they're they're probably in the driver's seat and right where they want to be in control of their own destiny if they don't lose that game. And so, you know, that's that's part of the difficulty of this college system. That's part of the difficulty of trying to get into the playoff is. Every single game counts, and a one-loss team, unless you're in the US, unless you're in the SEC, it's probably not going to happen. And don't underestimate the fact that this is a television show. And once it becomes a television show, it becomes entertainment and it becomes for profit. And the fact is, Utah doesn't have near enough fan base that people will be excited about seeing them versus the teams from the SEC. Television ratings matter. Millions of dollars are at stake. And Utah does not bring enough to the to the table television ratings-wise. They don't even bring enough in the, in the Pac-12. See, they, they don't have ranked the, the, the top eight viewed games. Utah is not in any of them. And if you go, uh, once you start playing the ratings, it's not just who loves teams, but it's who hates them. And the fact that people hate Bama, not only all the people who love Bama watch, but all the people who hate Bama watch, and Bama will end up in a lot of the most viewed games they do every year. So let's start hating on the Utes. (laughs) There it is. If more people hated the Utes. Cougars, where are you? How are you hanging on? It's the same thing in the NBA with the Lakers. It's the same thing. Your show is kind of like... Like, DJ is mm-hmm. kind of like Clemson, yeah. and, and, PK, <laughs> and PK is kind of like Alabama. It's like they love to hate them, they love them, they love to hate them, they don't know. That's why, that's why your show's been so good. It's not because everybody loves you guys, it's because some people, you know, they just hate you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Roll PK. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> PK is like what? What is it? PT Barnum Bailey? I don't. I don't care what you say about me. Just spell my name correctly. Is that? Is that what it is with you? Uh, yeah, I don't think. To, man. You know, you don't. You don't know this, but the time that the name Kinahan was misspelled in the Tribune when he worked at the Tribune, that did that did not go over well. That was a hilarious story because it didn't happen to me. So yeah, and there's there's something to be said for that. It all adds up to Utah getting squeezed out, and I don't think they should. Because and I'm we're obviously very close to it, and I, I think they have a hell of a team, and they can compete with darn near anybody, and they deserve the chance. But the circumstances don't dictate it. So, but I want to see have, Clemson, Utah. I would love to see it, absolutely, <laughs> and there's no question. But I agree with you, Riley. There's something to be said for going to Pasadena, kicking the crap out of Minnesota. And then being ranked fifth in the poll, and then you can always claim, and you can have that in perpetuity. Well, yeah, well, what if? Yeah, well, we could have done that. We could have done that. We could have done this, and we'll, we'll never know. But you roll out a, uh, what would that be, uh, 12, 13 and one season with a Rose Bowl win. I'm having a parade. No, no, no question. I mean, and you'll be able to make the argument you're the you're the best team ever in the state of Utah, even if you don't go to the playoffs. I mean, I, this team is is answering every call right now. They are answering the bell every single time, and they've done it with different players. It's been exciting to watch. I know that maybe not around the country these are household names, but every single week it's fun to watch. You know, Anai on defense, Julian Blackman. You got. Moss, you got, you know, every single week, Tyler Huntley, there's somebody making big plays. This is a fun team to watch. And regardless of what happens, you, you know, you, you know, with old coaches phrase, you know, you control what you can control. And then you, and then you just see where things, where things fall. But there's no reason for you, if you go to the Rose Bowl and win the Rose Bowl to feel terrible about this season, that's for sure. And it feels like to me, as far as the playoff goes, and really as far as a lot of ratings and a lot of like rankings go, is you have to do it year after year after year to be able to get the nod, right? And so when you look at the Alabamas and the Clemsons and some of these teams, like they've been doing it year after year after year, so they're more likely to get the nod because people are used to seeing them up there and used to seeing it. Now, if Utah, and I don't, you know, I don't know what next year looks like because there's going to be some questions, but let's just say that, Three out of the next four years, they're they're in the top ten and they're right there on the top five. They might get a year where they get the nod into the playoff because they're playing really really good football. But I think it does take you know repeated efforts and year after year after year of being good before people are just going to give you a nod in that scenario. Unless you're undefeated and ranked number one in the country, and you're just drilling everybody. Right, right? but so but it, right now, Riley, a question mark. Right now, one loss Utah is in front of undefeated Minnesota and undefeated Baylor. So to your point, the Utes are getting that because they were in the Pac-12 title game last year and they've been good and been ranked in five of six seasons now. Exactly. And so they're moving. I mean, when you're looking at the University of Utah, you just got to feel good about the direction that they're moving, right? Like this is... This is a team in the past that I've been critical of because I'm like, well, if they don't have a big-time quarterback, it's going to be impossible for them to win the Pac-12 championship. Well, now they have a quarterback who is playing at a high level, and they have a chance to win the Pac-12 championship. And if they keep repeating these sorts of things, and, and, and really Kyle has built his program on the fact that he doesn't have to have a great quarterback. I mean, they're winning nine and ten games sometimes without great quarterback play, let alone when they have great quarterback play. 
So the foundation is there. They, they've built some things there that can be really, really interesting to look at. And if they keep doing it, it's just like you said, you know, in a lower scale, they're ahead of Baylor and Minnesota because those are those are teams that are playing really well right now. But their one loss, Utah's one loss, is better than their undefeated season. And if Utah keeps playing, then pretty soon they're going to be playing with the big boys in that conversation. But as of right now, they're not they're not in that conversation. But they're moving in the right direction, so you, you, you have to feel good about it. You have to feel good about this program regardless. And, I, and I'm with you, PK. If they go 13-1 and they win the Rose Bowl, why wouldn't you have a parade? I mean, I remember not that long ago, probably five years ago, when people were like, man, do you think the youths will ever win the Rose Bowl? And people were like, ah, I don't know. You know, or wow, that would be amazing. If they did, it would be an amazing thing for the city, blah, blah, blah. And now we're already talking like playoffs and all that kind of stuff, and we're forgetting about the Rose Bowl. Like, this would be a big deal if they won the Rose Bowl. It would be a big deal. Oh, it'd be gigantic, yeah, because that would mean that you beat Oregon, assuming that that's where we're headed. And I think that's certainly, in my mind, that's certainly where we're headed. And that, to me, if you knock off Oregon, you've answered questions on the quality of this football team that I think they've sort of answered because, you know, it's a seven-point loss to SC. Uh, th- things happen. Expecting any team, Alabama's probably going to get in, and they didn't win it. And there's been a number of teams who've lost a game and got in the playoff. It's just unfortunate for the Utah team that it probably won't happen that way. But nevertheless, if you beat Oregon, you will have answered a huge question that, in my mind, puts you on par with these rest of these teams, whether they let you in or not. So be it. And this will go down as a phenomenal program. And then, most importantly, is until SC makes its next football, great football coach hire, you have separated yourself clearly from the other four teams in the South and even maybe possibly only temporarily SC, even though you just lost to them, you still have had, you've had two seasons. No team has won the South two years in a row and played in the title game two years in a row, having won the South. And the reason why I put that qualifier in there is because the Bruins did it the first year, but SC was on probation. So they really didn't win the division. They played in the title game two years in a row from the South. Nobody right. else will have done that. You'll take a gigantic leap, and when you go out – as you already are doing right now, but continue to do it for the class of uh, 2021, you will have the most ammunition you've ever had to be able to scoop up more quality guys. And they're already doing it with a bunch of low-ranked recruiting uh, polls, whatever you want to call them, and they're already still turning out great football. It only stands to reason it would only get better. So whether they get in the playoff or not, who cares? The arrow is pointing up. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And look, uh, I know that Norm Chow came on the show and a long time ago he said, look, when I was at USC, all I had to do was say I was recruiting somebody and somebody would get a star. Utah's not quite to that point yet. But when you look at guys like, you look at Julian Blackman, who was at, he was at Mountain West Elite for like four years in a row. And I was, I was like, I cannot believe this kid's not being recruited I was calling people. I was talking to people about him. I was excited about this kid and how what an amazing athlete he was. And at the time, he was playing receiver in our camp. He was just going over the top and catching the ball on people. But nobody had offered him. And I'm not. I, I'm certainly not claiming that he got a scholarship to the U because of anything that we did. I mean, he he 
he they they knew about him and there were some teams in state believe it or not and like i can tell you guys a little bit of a story offline about they're like oh he can't play for us this is an in-state school and then a day later um the university of utah offers him that's his dream school and he goes there He's not. He's not ever going to be labeled coming out of Utah and late in high school, where they weren't putting up huge stats or anything like that. He wasn't going to be labeled a five star. Was the kid a five star kid? In, in my opinion, he was at least a four star. And the kid was an athlete, and he had all the right attitude and the coachability and everything that you want. And then he goes and and backs that up at the University of Utah. And people are like, "Well, you know, Utah just has a great eye." Well, yeah. Like, Julian stood out in workouts. He stood out when he was doing things. But he was a Utah kid at a school that doesn't have a huge reputation, so he wasn't going to have a ton of stars. But but a good player is a good player to the University of Utah. And eventually, and, and this is the long way to my point, eventually, if Utah continues to be in the Pac-12 championship game and continues to make runs at the Rose Bowl and maybe even sniff, a playoff eventually whoever they recruit is automatically going to be a three or a four star and so you'll see their recruiting go up and up and up because i'm just telling you right now and i and i talked to players that i played against who played for the university of utah back in the late 90s and some of my other friends that played in the early 2000s they're like dude i'm not even sure i'm second or third string on this team there are so many athletes up at the University of Utah right now, and the depth that's at the University of Utah right now is different than any team in the state. And it's been very impressive what they've done because they've still included some local Utah players that have brought leadership, that have brought toughness to the program. I mean, you look at Lecky Fotu and some of these, you know, Chase Hansons of the world and Julian Blackmans that are from the state of Utah that still allow you to root for the, for, for the Utah home home team and then and then they bring in all this other talent and it's just been it's been really fun to watch and it's been really fun to see them develop this program into into something that is everyone should be proud of it in the state of utah because it's really fun to watch last thing before you let you go are your aggies going to beat wyoming is jordan love going to throw for 300 yards again because he seemed to be back because all they they need that win if they're going to set up the big game with boise state in two weeks yeah, it, it, this game makes me nervous. Obviously, last year when Utah State played against Wyoming, it wasn't a beautiful offensive output. It's going to be tons of man-to-man defense, which which makes it not very hard to read, but it makes it hard to get separation. So hopefully these receivers can get separation. And then the other thing that's really important about man-to-man is that you can make tough catches. And these wide receivers have been prone to drop the ball a little bit. You've got to be able to throw the ball and catch the ball in tight spots with guys hanging on your back to be able to move the ball against these guys. And then, of course, run the ball. It's a, it's, it's a tall task. I think Utah State is up to it. it. It certainly felt like a better performance last week. They've got to play a little bit better defense. But, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering for Jordan Love to, to string two games in a row because it's been a tough season so far. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, guys. Love, love your show, man. It's fun to listen to. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, all the headlines. What is trending? Stay with us.